collective power. We are out to transform trauma system-wide by presenting a mirror of the system to itself. Each month, we focus on one system, and each episode, we focus on one person's experience and their angle. At the end of each month, we bring all those angles together to reveal a new big picture. Stay with us to discover our collective power and what's possible for our city, for our country, and our world. I am Dr. Rita Fierro, and I am your host. Good morning, everyone, and thank you. Welcome back for another episode of Collective Power. I am thrilled today to have as our guest, Gagandeep Oberoi. Good morning, Gagan. How are you? Hey, Rita. I'm good. How are you doing? And hi to all your viewers out there. (laughs) We'll be doing audio today, although you and I have the pleasure to see each other on Zoom, but our listeners will be listening by audio. Gagan, you're in Malaysia. I've met you through my leadership group, and it's been really pleasure to know you and to engage in some conversations about what the economy is and what the economy could be. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Could you give us a little story about, like a story that gives us a little bit of an insight into who you are as a full human being? A story about me is a story of discovery. For me, one of the, when I started, parents were in different services. So every two years we packed a bag, went to a new place, started anew. Somehow that has defined me, which has made me very open, very welcoming. I make friends very easy, but it also means I'm keep moving, right? I, I, can't get stationed. So that as a human being has already been defined me, which always also tells me that I seek something new and I want to discover and create something new. That's how it also defines me. And maybe some of them bringing more over the, over the years with my education and the work, which I've done in my life. I've been working for over two decades. Though I've studied economics and marketing and I've you know, spend about two decades applying that in various top tier organizations across the world. I've been, my last job, actually, I was looking whole of Mia, which is everything between New Zealand and Morocco and everything in between. And I was inputting people globally in the way worked, the company worked, kind of a thing. For me, it has always been to reach out. There's always been a, some interesting how to say concoction of wanting to do something new. So that's just about me and all the stories of, you know, going and reaching out somewhere new where I can do something new has been always very powerful for me. And I think that's the reason I also sort of like economics because it never is a standstill conversation and can never be. And that's the beauty of it. And and how do you keep impacting it and how moving the conversation around it, I think is very powerful for me. And therefore, I think some of the thinking around it, 
why that as one of the things which I think about has come up in my life. It's interesting to hear you say that economics is never a conversation that is on a standstill, because I think of economics as a standstill. And it's probably just my misperception. And I know yeah. that economics was the like class in college that I least liked. I literally think <laughs> I forgot everything the day after I took the exam. And I recently have been thinking about picking back up my macroeconomics book to actually refresh myself. Maybe I haven't forgotten quite everything, but I think I've forgotten too much for a sociologist, to be honest. And so I'm curious, like, where do you see the conversation of the economics field now? Like, well, how do you see this conversation evolving, you who are in that conversation? I think the, the conversation, the fundamental desire has not changed in, I would say, since humans have sort of come in. Uh, the fundamental desire to survive. Economics is what? It is a physical survival of human being through interaction in a material sense with another human being. Phenomenally, economics is that. It's not a big theory. It's, it's not a big thing. It's basically when two people want to interact materially, economics happens. Now, the economics is as old as human being. Whether I traded a, I killed a deer and you killed a deer together with me and we you know, decided it is easier to kill a deer together and then we will share it 50-50. That was economics. Or I started growing wheat and you started growing, you know, barley and we exchange a bag of wheat or barley and that was economics. Or all the way complicated today uh, where we have everybody creating something of something trying to give to each other in a way of accounting, right? So while our economics, are our human existence have become more complicated or more diverse or more how would say let's say we went from a black and white tv to a multicolored screens right there are millions and billions of colors happening right the same way we went from a very simple way of transacting materially with two human beings to a very complicated society today you have seven and a half billion people so if you theoretically do a you know how many permutation combinations can happen? It's literally infinite. <laughs> so economics looks like that, right? In terms of transactions. So, but fundamental of it is the same. It's not, that's not changing. Is that I exchange something with you and that's economics. I sorry, you're on mute. Sorry. Please. What do you think are the misperceptions that people have about economics and the economic system? Well, for me, I think let's start with the most basic one, money, right? What's mm -hmm. money? I mean, if, if you talk about economics, first thing everybody talks about is money. As if money is economics, right? That's to me the biggest perception. Money is one part of economics. It's, it's not even economics. Right. I think you and I were talking the other day on it, but just think about what is money. If I may push you a little bit and ask you, what is money? So I think about money as paper or metal that we right. have attributed. We decided it has a certain value. 
So it doesn't right. have an in, intrinsic value. It's the value that we just like we decided as a society right. that the value of this paper or this coin is the number that's written on it instead of its actual right. value. Absolutely. So the word decided means it's a finite number for, and absolutely we are never decided. We are always changing it every moment of life, right? So what $100 gets you today may not get you in one hour. If you know, you can get the dollar euro range will keep changing. Inflation will happen. So there is no decided value to it. However, it's a mathematical count, right? It counts. Fundamentally, money just says account at that moment of time. That's all it is. It doesn't have a value of itself. It is a perceived what it accounts for. So today, if you go and say, I'll get it for $100, two hours later, you can go and say, you can get it for 80, you can get for $120, right? So it doesn't have a value. <laughs> but what it says is, I say, I account something which has a value at 120, so I can count it. So it was a counting mechanism. You know, 5,000 years ago, money was created just to account how many sheep I had versus how many sheep you had. Because once I had 500 sheep, I couldn't keep a track of it and you couldn't keep a track of your 500 sheep. So if you picked up 50 and took away from me, how would I know? So in olden days, they used to make pouches of sheep, literally, I'm not joking. That's how they used to do. They used to wear mud pouches. They used, if you had 500 sheep, they will make, you know, 10, 50 pouches of 10 sheep inside that mud pouch and they will block it with somebody, with a person. So if, if you wanted to know how many sheep you are, you just opened the pouch and say, see, I have 50 sheep. Now you, why do you have 600 and I have 400? That means you have taken 100 of mine. That's what it was you meant. Mean, it like, was meant to count sheep. Yeah, literally figurines. Literally, little mud sculptures of sheep and they put it yes. in a bag to keep track. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if I give you my bag, I give you my 500 sheep to carry it away. So this was basically once everybody started living together and they couldn't count and I and you are living very proximately mm -hmm. close, my 500 sheep, your 500 sheep are not going to look any different. So how do I know? things. In a lot of countries, they started branding and all that. That's different, right? They, they tried different ways to do that sheep thing. Some smart people said, I will make a pouch out of it. And they made pouch out of it. And that was the first set of monies in this world. So you're saying that the economy isn't actually the movement of money. It's the counting of the movement of money. Yes. So money basically counts and does nothing more. Well, actually, economy isn't just the movement of money, though. It's counting. Money is just counting. Money is nothing, is not economy. It's just counting economic value. It's like saying, I want to count how many, you know, doors are there in a house. It doesn't make a house. It is not, it, it is just a count of number of doors in a house. It's a number of windows in a house, right? Mm -hmm. it, it is a count. Now, I, and when you look at really, that's why it is called money has accounting to it. So accounts, you keep book of accounts. You have ledgers, accounts, you're always counting. There's no, money is not economy. Money is counting. And that's why you are number person and you're counting. Why would you need to be a number person if it is economics? Is money is more than 
counting, why should you need to know numbers? Why should it be accounting? Why should there be ledger books and stuff like that? Right? It's just accounting, and therefore account. Account is a count. <laughs> as simple yeah. as that. It's it's said in English as simple as it is said in. <laughs> so, what are other misperceptions that we make about the economy or the so first, economic system? Every time approach, I everybody should get money or everybody should get rich, is the perception of economy. Then you are approaching it wrong. Let's start with what economy is not, right? Let's start with that because that that's the myths as you are saying, right? So what is the other myth which we have, right? Is equality is a good thing about economy? Now. What is equality with economy? How can you have anything equal of economy? You can equal in accounting then. So therefore what you do is you calculate something and then you start dividing it. Right? That's how you mm -hmm. make equality, right? So I have the total right. value of the GDP is 100. Now I want equality and divide it by 20 people. So everybody will get five. Mm -hmm. But then equality is again a counting methodology or dividing something. But that is not economy. You're dividing the output of economy into something because through a money accounting system. But that's not economy. Mm -hmm. Right? And because you want to do that, you have things which comes in the face of something like socialism and capitalism and stuff like that. So everybody believes you can be socialist, you have to be a capitalist, now capitalists are bad and socialists are good or socialists don't know how to run economy and the capitalists don't know how to, all the crap. But this, what you're still trying to do is trying to tell who gets money, how, who gets what part of that account. I would like to rephrase what you're saying just to check that I'm understanding, yeah. okay. So what you're saying is that we live in a fictional world where we pretend that economics is money while mm -hmm. actually economics is money allows us to count transactions and to just track, yep. but actually yep. economics is a lot bigger than money. And because we create money as like the, the bottom line of economics, we pretend that economics is all about money. And money gets printed, so there's only a like limited source of money. When we think about equality, we think about equality as splitting up the money. Yes. And that's a fiction, too, because we're basing it on a limited number of transactions instead of an unlimited number of transactions. Exactly. Interesting. So this brings up the whole conversation between like abundance versus lack. Yep. So you and I had a conversation and you told me that lack is built into the backbone of our economy. Like our economy is based on the assumption that there's a lack of resources. Tell me yes. more about that. How is that baked into the system? Right. So if, if you understand, it's, it's all about getting the right amount of accounting done, right? So when you use accounting to regulate economy, right? Mm -hmm. Then what happens on the other side is that you need to have a measure to balance it. Right? You need to balance an accounting ledger book. 
So what comes in, what goes out, you know, debit, credit kind of a thing. You, know, you need a balance the budget. Yeah. Balance the budget, right? So you need to start balancing yeah. something. Because if it becomes out of whack, then your accounting goes for a whack. You can't have bad counting, right? So the best way to do count is so the economic way of saying was supply and demand, right? That if you inc infinite ex supply and infinite de demand would be what price? Zero accounting. Or zero demand and zero supply is also zero. So infinity and zero, right? So now you wait, need wait, to- Wait, wait, say that again. Go back, I lost, you lost me. <laughs> say that one more time. So zero demand and zero supply is huh. zero. Yes. Right? Yes. Infinite supply and infinite demand is what? You're saying also zero, but I don't understand why. Because it's- Because you can't count matched. it? One, you can't count it. Two, it doesn't make, because it's matched to the point where you, it doesn't even make sense. So you, you might as well take it as zero. Okay, I see. Right? So that's why, yeah. so you put zero, you put infinity. After that, you don't do anything with that math sum. That's the whole beauty of inputting an, in, you put infinity in front of any math sum and that ends, that math sum ends then and there, because every answer will be an infinity. Makes no sense. I see. Right? Yeah. So if you want some sense to happen, you need to now make sense of this, of your accounting methodology. That means you have to, between zero and infinity, you have to put a number. Yes. Like our math system cannot operate inside of infinity. We have to have a boundary. Exactly. Got it. So now that's the math problem and your counting problem. Also, the problem is this. So some people at that time also looked at and said, there is a limit of our present, right? At a given moment of time, there is some finiteness to it, right? In past, it has no meaning. In future, it can be infinite, right? But at a present moment, everything is a finite. So economics actually has therefore it is moving and i said this at start and keeps changing everything keeps changing in our life is because it's at a present moment we'll make it finite and say today i have a and today i have a this much of supply and this much of demand and therefore i can account for today so or a period of time so most of the things are done at a period of time and then they are recorded every day and then you record at end of 12 months I mean, why 12 months? Why not 11 months? Why not 24 months, right? 12 months, you record and you have a PNL of profit and loss. I made loss, I made tax. Because why did that happen? Because somebody else wants some part of you, your effort put in. And we will come to that. That's, that's separate. That's called taxes, but we'll come separately. If you didn't have taxes, you don't have to account it every 12 months. Why would you need to account it 12 months? Then... Oh, yeah, no, there's no reason. Everybody could do six months, 18 months, 24 months, three years, seven years, whatever they would love to do it. Why does everybody need to do it 12 months? It's because somebody wants tax. I see. So I hear there are three ways, and I already lost the first one. We'll come back to it. So I hear that there are three ways in which the economic system is based on a principle of lack. Yes. So first is that we, our math does not account for infinite. 
No. So if we admitted that we had an infinite, infinite supply of anything, like, you yes. know, all the abundance woo-woos talk about, you know, there are infinite grains of sand on the beach. Well, if we yes. went from a, from a principle of infinite money or infinite resources, right, or infinite transactions, we no. wouldn't be able to do the math. No. And we have to do the math because we do math in 12-month segments because of no, taxes. We no, we do maths because to make a thing anybody sense, you need to do some maths. And then we have okay. chosen to do it in that period of time present, right? So right. we can only account for today, actually, right? So absolute value of anything is accounted in that minute. And therefore, if you look at what dollar, euro prices or anything prices, gold prices, oil prices, everything in the markets keep changing every second, right? Because the price is for that second, for that minute yeah. of transaction, right? Yeah. So, so you can account at that one minute and you can't account beyond that. At that one minute, there is a preciseness to everything. That's what maths does. That's the one yeah. part of the problem. Then the other part of the problem is the tax system has a 12-month shelf period. So everything has to be calculated in 12-month period. So that's the second part of it. Okay. And then the other thing you were saying is that the assumption is also that there's a limited supply. So yes. in a certain moment of time, the assumption of our economic system is that there's limited supply. Yes. And that assumption is so that we can regulate the price, right? That we can decide what yes. the price is based on that supply and the demand. Yes. Got it. Because if you didn't do a restriction of supply or demand, by the way, both, right? So if demand is infinite and supply is, then the price would become infinite. Okay? Yeah. But the price increases after that, the demand cannot remain infinite, right? So the accounting wise, the demand cannot remain infinite. So the demand is limited and supply is limited in that finite period of time. But I also hear this, got that, and, and it's really intriguing to hear how that connects to our conversations about equality. Because in the face of a limited supply, what you're saying is the only conversation we can have about equality is how do we split up the limited supply? Yes, the point I'm trying to make here is that we are all getting stuck in accounting. So this is, was an accounting methodology. This was a way to account how many sheep you had versus I had. Now we have made it the economy. And the point here was accounting cannot be economy. <laughs> if you really want economy to work for everybody, which is what you truly want to say, rather than saying equality, that it should work equally for everybody, then you should start understanding what is economy and what should work equally for somebody and not the accounting of it. Okay, so this is the conversation, right? So this is the conversation that had me say, be a guest on my show, let's have this conversation. <laughs> so, and I know that you said you're in this inquiry, like you don't have all the yes. answers yet, right? So no. unfortunately, we're not gonna get any pretty packaged answer on this call. No. But there's one of my favorite quotes by Einstein said, if I had an hour and my life depended on it, I would spend 55 minutes figuring out what is the question and five minutes finding the answer. 
So, yep. you know, for the listeners who are hoping to get all the answers today, we're not going to have all the answers, but we are going to put out some pretty hefty questions about how to get those answers. Yes, what do you see in terms of what an economy based on abundance would look like? Right. So, like, what do you know? Or what questions are you in? Yeah. I want to. So, first, do you want economy to be based on abundance, or do you want economy to work for everybody in abundance? I don't know the difference, but it sounds like it's the latter. <laughs> <laughs> because what you really want is not there is abundance in economy as we have just said infinite is there infinite oh. in natural and we cannot work with the infinite because we keep defining infinite and base everything on infinite things will collapse right yes so what we want is everybody equally partaking in the abundance now they may not equally part get out of the abundance that doesn't mean that everybody will be rich as bill gates or you know whoever but everybody needs to be rich enough for their liking mm -hmm. right everybody should have an opportunity to be rich enough in their liking yes and there is abundance for that to happen in this world because first the question should be if that is to happen the more important question what one should ask themselves is okay if money and accounting and abundance is not economics what the hell is economics then i mean what if if money is not what i'm trying to divide to everybody then what the hell am i trying to divide to everybody equally unequally or more more to some less to some is the other part of it but what is it i'm trying to divide or give or get people to partake in what is that something called economy so let me also now to ask you a simple question do you know how a size of economy decided how big is the economy american economy is a 21 trillion dollar economy chinese is a 15 trillion dollar economy no how know, are the happens. how are they yeah. decided so basically they look at 12 months of the year and they say all the things you have bought makes up the economy plus all the money somebody has spent so there are three people who spend money so the money you spend defines the size of economy not what you make not what is produced not what is there in the on the land or what is on the air or what is buried or what is what not all of that doesn't define economy by the way what defined is how much money you spend every year which explains why the us is one of the biggest economies of the world because we spend like crazy produce very little which is which is very yeah. good because well, if you spend a lot then you become a big economy so the three parts which is government spending individual household spending or people like you me everybody spending and and companies were buying spending money to create uh something permanent in a sense like machinery or something right so which will keep giving value and that is calculated in a certain way 
right that's a little bit of complicated part but just to give you a perspective american economy 70% of it is household spend another 15 to 20% is government spend so only 8 to 10% is basically private sector sec- you know what you call private sector spend so 90% of is spent by people or on behalf of people by the government but what about where do businesses factor in this right so the 10% because you know what they produce on their currently is not seen as economy what they invest in a certain way on machinery to create more production that is seen as a uh, building into economy because they're spending money remember they have to spend money which they are not going to get money back today because they are sending it to somebody to do that right so i, I can produce all the goods in the world put it into a warehouse and it will be zero economy i see i okay so first let's understand what you are trying to get everybody to do so if you want them to partake in a big economy you want them to spend more fundamentally mm-hmm. so you started by saying people should have money and here the economy is defined as how do you how much people spend isn't that an interesting thing i got it i get the contradiction we think about the economy as how much money people have to spend yes. but meanwhile we're tracking how much money people actually spend exactly so economy is not how much money there is or how many goods and services there is it's how much money people spend but actually the reality of it is even separate how much goods and services you consume the value of it is the size of the spend so i need people to get you know get this this is very interesting people think i spend money you know don't spend money you consume goods and services which it is accounted for and that accounting tells you what is the value of the consumption because we need to know in a maths kind of a system we can handle so we have done it in a maths called accounting and we have caught in it right but the reality of it is how much you consume so if you bought a pair of say bag, a, a pair of jeans right and if if you bought it for $20 and somebody bought it for 18 the net consumption is going to be $38 the same jeans somebody got it $2 cheap right 10% cheaper but the total value is not 40 it's 38 but the consumption is there so at that time something got valued and because it is a continuous value and every second you account it differently unfortunately the pricing looks different but both of you consumed the jeans pair of jeans you bought it right mm-hmm. and that consumption makes economy So coming back to what would an economy based in abundance look like how would that be different If you want everybody to be part of big economy then everybody needs to be consuming so we need to consume 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 more and there will be more consumption there will be more economy So if everybody can consume more there is more economy one of the reasons why you know the problem with this philosophy is after a while you can't consume 
like bill gates and you know some of these guys cannot consume anymore because they cannot buy how many pairs of jeans can they buy and how many cars can they buy and how many you you can't do so what do they do they call it investment but they go and buy something which hopefully will increase in accounting methodology over a year because more people will desire it right so it's called investing but the reality is if half the world's population tomorrow died the consume consumption will go away that much consumption will go and depends on where we lose the population if you lose in america american consumption may go down by 30% or 40% depending who in which consumption methodology yeah. were i right? get that so like so, so individual consumption like, how do we shift this model so what would a different model look like you first you need to get this no it doesn't need to be a different model it needs to be a model first we need to understand what economy is you're trying see the problem is everybody comes and says a model right what is a model model is basically saying rules of the game exactly if you don't even right but you don't know the game and you you keep talking about the rules so if you do not know the game how can you even put the right rules and i'll give you an example completely different example so you get a perspective of what i'm trying to say i know this is a little weird weird talk think of environment 1960s plastic bags plastic bottles tupperware the greatest things we made everybody bought tupperware why because it was reused it could be used over two years so much most valuable so good for everybody today you go and talk about the same bloody plastic and everybody is like no <laughs> right so plastic has become from being the best thing to the worst thing in a period of what 50 years mm-hmm. right we have looked at the same industrial revolution completely differently we are not, not everybody in the world looks at the same way right we are still fighting the environmental battle when trying to convince there is thing with a lot of people right but majority of the world today unlike in 1970s where say greenpeace was the only organization who was mad people's organization today every one of us are more radical than the greenpeace was in 1970s so yeah. you know today's greenpeace is more radical than we are fair enough but we are more radical individually today than greenpeace was in 1970s the rules of the game changed when more and more people understood what does it mean to be environmental friendly it meant sustainability low carbon footprint it meant don't put plastics in it don't make something which is not biodegradable there were aspects of it which also meant our electricity needs to come from renewable sources right so it was not one rule of the game we are trying to change with environment but we understood environment and over the period of time we have now started saying we need rules of the game to change technologies to come in people need to start thinking differently laws have to change right so my question is what yeah. rules of the game should we change should we aim to change around the economy which rules should we change and how do we organize to change them right so i i can give you that answer but i again i started saying i don't have all the answers and i don't want to give you half i will give you some answers so some places to look 
for the answers right mm-hmm. but before i that i want to spend one more minute on the economy and go back to my original point and get people to start understanding something okay. first we need to understand what economy truly is economy truly is how many people consume what and how much you consume and we need to start on identifying what does it mean to be equally being partaking in something which is abundant equally partaking means what is the level of consumption we want everybody to have first we need to decide that rule we don't so even know saying- how much consumption we need to all at least have to be called we are partaking equally into the economy So you're saying start creating a future vision. Right now the vision that we stand in is that the rest of the world cannot partake into the economy as much as the west does because the west consumes too much and makes a ton of trash and we actually yeah. can't afford to like although the so properers want everyone to have the consumption of the west we can't actually at a world scale we cannot afford the consumption of the west to be expanded to the world. So what you're saying is instead of assuming that instead of pretending that we could because we actually can't to get clear about what level of consumption or what level of lifestyle it would take for everyone in the world to live at um at a certain capacity. Let's not even I'm not even going to put a value on it right now about whether it's maximum or minimum like that's another conversation, right? Yeah. but like what would it look like to base our vision for the future in everyone in the world having a certain level of consumption which means a certain level of lifestyle right but until you don't do that then you don't know how to enforce that so then the rules of game would be to get that happening so yes. we are trying to get the rules of the game for the wrong game we need to get the game right so then we can have the right rules for the right game <laughs> I'd like Sorry. to make a analogy here with organizational yeah. development just to break it down for any listeners that weren't able to follow. It's sort of like this. If you work in an organization that is I I make the same the same argument for organizational development, right? If you are an organization that let's say is trying to eradicate poverty. Yeah. And the vision you stand in is that um let's say like no children are poor in whatever year you imagine and that's the vision you're standing in now no children are poor doesn't mean that there're no adults who are not poor right so if you stand in no children are poor then that becomes your game is to eradicate child poverty but if yeah. you want to eradicate all poverty you have to stand in a vision that you as an organization don't exist anymore Yeah. And I think this is the major inauthenticity that our nonprofits and NGOs have is we don't actually plan to no longer have the nonprofit because if there's no poverty and you're a poverty about nonprofit, then you should be planning your own extinction. But we Absolutely. don't do that. But we don't do that. And in fact, we perpetuate poverty because now we've created a whole class of professionals whose livelihood depends on poverty, which the poor yeah. people call the, in America call the poverty pimps. I don't know if you yep. know that expansion. So what you're saying is that for as it relates to the economy what we need to do is not to focus just on changing the rules of the game but shifting the the game to begin with. 
And if the game yes. is that we all have enough, then we have to start looking at a future in which we all have enough and then create from there. Yes, absolutely what you're saying, but little add-on to it, not modification, but an add-on. Go for it. Go for it. And, and the add-on is that they will, we need to first define what is enough. And then, then enough will change because human body, mind, soul is made that enough is never enough. And that's good. And that's mm -hmm. why econ and when I said economy is never decided or stagnant, it is keep moving because enough is never enough. And that's good. That's not bad. That's good. That's why we have reached here. Otherwise, we will all be in a cave and not talking over this tablet or you know, this technology won't have come in, right? A lot of other things would have not come in. So that's good point. And I'll also give you a perspective of how what it means is. If you really look at today, you know, today the people dying of absolute abject hunger, hunger of, of famine or things like that, right? Globally is as a percentage of population is that possibly the lowest ever there has been in history of humankind. Look at countries like China and India where literally People may not get enough nutrition, may not be completely, you know, everything may not be right about their food, but they're not dying of abject hunger. It's not that I didn't get food for 10 days and I'm dead. That doesn't happen in India or China as a norm anymore, or even in Africa or even any part of the world. I'm not saying people don't die of hunger. People do, I'm not saying, but as a percentage of world population today, it is the lowest ever in human mankind. Because we, a as a, yeah. yeah, and today as a mindset, everybody was clear, you know, 50, 30, 50 years ago, hunger has to be eradicated. Minimum that everybody should get food. It was not a debate whether it was enough food in the world. And the point was, let's create enough food. Nobody can die of hunger. That is not possible. We have more or less eradicated absolute hunger. I'm not saying there is not different kind of hunger or problems in life. There is malnutrition is an issue, but absolute hunger where I had zero calories coming in for five days is not anymore there. Even in the worst of the parts, even where there is war and chaos and everything broken down, we still try to send water and food. Hmm. Like we created, we created that. That. that water food had to arrive. Because we decided that there happened. was a standard. That was a standard. Everybody, if, if you see suddenly on a, somewhere, you know, about 10,000 people are going to die of hunger, you know, it will make serious noise in planet Earth. It will make a noise. Because we wrote that rule of the game saying that is not acceptable. Right? Mm. We wrote that game. We wrote that rules of the law. But if we don't define what is bare minimum, and when we say enough, we need to say, why can't everybody in the world have Western consumption of a Western, today's middle-class consumption be there for everybody in the world? Why not? The question is, we as soon as we say that is possible, then the rules of the games will need to start putting in and saying, for that to happen, and earth to still survive, that we need to have it sustainable, ask, reusable, 
awesome we need technology awesome so today we have energy at cheaper rate in abundance which is forever going going to last at least for another 3 billion years or 4 billion years for us till the sun doesn't die out and the winds and the sun doesn't this but today you know just using sand we make glass and we make solar panels and recycle copper and put these wind farms and we have cheapest form of everlasting energy on earth which was not 50 years back which was not 2000 years back 2000 years getting little bit of energy moving was impossible it was a get a horse or 20 people or put 5000 you know capture 10000 people and make them slave we chose that we cannot have 10000 people as slave as an option that means we needed something else to happen and we need to start thinking economy and stop thinking money and there are many things in economy we need to get law, rules game plans today but first we need to know what we are trying to solve for so what is that question specifically so is it what's the what is the question is it, is it what is the standard we want for every human being Yeah, is it what is Isn't the that... life that we want for every human being? Like, what would it take to create an economy where every human being on the earth would be able to live a certain way? Materially. I don't even know I mean, if it's minimum standard. Maybe it's not the minimum standard. Maybe it's the maximum standard. I'm sitting here wondering. Maybe the question is, what would it take to build an economy where everyone on the earth could have the maximum level of happiness health and wealth yes and and therefore again that's the other thing economy is not about happiness and wellness money as you for oft all the people you would understand money doesn't give you happiness i know money but can get saying, you triggers for happiness but they'll not get you happiness i agree with you and right now our economy assumes that there's limited access so i'm just saying if we're going to shift the the framework i think we shift it for more than the economy and then create the economy that fits it so if we create a vision for humanity where we all have health wealth and and happiness or a health wealth and thriving then you create an economy that can work with it and that's the problem it's well intention but that's the problem see it's like saying i want water to do everything in my life even breathe now technically speaking it has oxygen and you can you know be a fish and breathe through it but that's not sensible water is great it is needed it is full of life and you could possibly live through water like fish too but it is not sensible so you're saying we could basically envision a standard of living that fulfills everyone in the world without trying to change the definition of the economy basically we could talk about a standard of consumption so we could even stick with the definition of economy as consumption but still establish the standard of consumption that would allow everyone to live a certain yes. standard of life 
I Absolutely. see what you're saying. Okay. You're like, we don't have to destroy the whole thing. We just have to decide yeah. what's the future that we're walking into. Yeah. And isn't that easier? Maybe. I'm not sure. It, it may not be complete for human Because I just evolution. don't know everything that I know about like taking the US economy, right? Mm -hmm. The reason why the US economy rolls the way it rolls is because there's poor labor, like there's cheap labor. And so the well being of the US economy is based on the fact that 50% of the United States does not have enough to eat, like does not have. So I don't know what it would look like to create a future in which everyone has the standard they need. Yeah, that's a good question. So what should the be the rules of you were talking. Yeah, so it's the balancing no, 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 no. you're talking I'm about. I'm not saying I, I get that. All I'm I'm not saying we should not define what is the minimum consumption standards. I'm saying we need to define what is a minimum consumption standard. No, but, but I'm, I'm saying, saying why it's the why is it the minimum? Like even the minimum that's based on why the is the minimum because as as somebody wisely said, the sky is the limit. And why won't and then beyond that space is the limit. And then this this universe is abundant and infinite. So why do you want to maximize something? Why not have saying this is where we stand and we will keep climbing a stair forever? Mm. So, so you're saying you want abundance, but you want to cap abundance, which is back to the same thing. Human mind doesn't live saying. live with infinity. So I'm saying... living with infinity. <laughs> Well, I'm thinking, what I'm wondering is what does it look like to create an economic structure or system that allows us all to have unlimited I We all have and, unlimited. And you're uh, saying again, we have I'm it saying, already, we just don't count it that way. No, we do not define what is minimum. See, you can't start, again, remember this, you cannot start your first step without, you can't get somewhere even if it is in the middle of the space, without knowing you're standing on Earth. You need to get everybody on Earth first before you go from here to Mars or to another galaxy or another millionth of galaxy or wherever, right? You need to have a start. You need to have a base. And I'm, all, I'm saying people are trying to get everybody to encompass the entire world, universe, without even knowing where they're starting. I'm saying... We are well intended to doing something, but then we cannot do infinity, right? So then when I ask people, then in human life is riddled with this conversation and politicians who have used this desire to get everybody the universe in a political game by saying, I know how to do it. Let's start one by dividing what we have, taxing what we have, or getting more people to do something and then get somebody to, you know, invest in this way or that methodology or that thing. Because you're trying to give some everything to something. And if I give you some everything, where will you keep it? So I'm just looking at the sustainable development goals, right, that are intended to do that. Yes. So there's like no poverty, zero hunger, good health and yep. well-being, quality education, reduced inequality. It's interesting. It says reduced inequalities, right? 
decent work and economic growth. There it goes. Life below water, life on land. Anyway, there are 17. Yeah, yeah but uh, how many of them are specific? Goals. How many of them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the issue. I know that One. Like, exact for no poverty and zero hunger. No, no, no. No poverty numbers. has no exactness to it, by the way. Oh, no poverty right. is a definition. It's an accounting. There's only yeah. one one thing which is written on that paper, which is fabulously absolute, which is no hunger. And we have achieved it. Almost. Not completely, Almost. but close. I mean, we, close we have achieved it. it. We we just don't, I mean, close we can become close better at it. it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we are 99% there, right? So we will get 100% out of that. Because that's the only specific goal we have on the bloody sheet. Not said that everybody should have a house of 500 square feet or 2,000 square feet house, or every living human being should at least have every person individually should have 500 square feet. And if there are pe four people in the house, then you should have 2,000 square feet. That's your minimum living standard. You should have running water, hot, cold. That's your minimum standard of living. There is no minimum standard of living. We have minimum standard of money, which is stupid. We need minimum standard of living. And then you have to say, what are the rules for doing that? See, we said there is zero, the carbon emission at certain sense should be zero, right? Zero. You want to go to a certain percentage, say zero. Then that's specific. You know, the damn carbon can be counted and then we put it and that has to go to zero. Now I need laws and rules and games to put it at zero. It may not happen over today, but it will happen over a period of time and it, it is a game which will happen. And then everybody around the world says, you're not going to zero, you're not going to zero, you're not going to zero. I don't like you, I don't like you. People will go to zero. If you'd started defining what is a minimum standard of living for everybody, minimum. Not maximum, minimum, which you think is good for people to live. Then you will start asking the question is, how do I make that happen? How should the world work? What is stopping that? Who is playing fair? Who is playing unfair? What are the rules which we need to change? Now, I have something concrete to achieve. See, economy, again, I go back to people. You started with myths. I'm now wanting people to start getting right. This is what I spend time and I think people are still don't get. Economy is consumption. Economy is not the money you have, the goods you have. It is the consumption of goods and services. So you can only define economy about how much somebody needs to minimum consume. We have taken the word consumption and made it bad. Because we have associated consumption with waste. Because every time we consume, we waste something. We waste or destroy something to consume. Right? We are tackling that with another game called environment, sustainability. But we need to define what is the minimum consumption and then take sustainability and how do we sustainably make that happen? That means it, then some smart people will start getting onto it and saying, here is a challenge. It's a business opportunity. I'll create the science for it and people will buy it. 
i will create some solution and do that i will create an ngo and do get people to help on it i'll train people i'll educate people i'll do suddenly there are 50 things many people will start doing around it once you are clear what is the minimum living standard you want and i'm not saying defined by money because that is atrocious because 10000 dollars today has no meaning of 10000 tomorrow or in different countries right 10000 dollars in singapore is you are not you are even poorer than in america right it it costs a minimum car cost there 100000 dollars imagine there is how many only 5 or 7% people buy cars in singapore in hmm. america it's 20000 dollars or 15000 dollars in second hand cars and all that cars you can get for one for 5000 you can not get a car for less than 40 50000 dollars in you singapore imagine if everybody so 10000 dollars is different in different country but 10000 dollars in say ethiopia would be you know uh, you will have a mansion and you know 500 people working for you a different so yeah. money cannot define it stop using accounting or something else start talking about economy economy is real human beings consuming real things in their life services and goods we need to define what is the minimum standard of living in consumption not in value but in consumption we want people to do that and once we start defining that then you can find game rules to change why i have not given solutions to this problem is because first i want people to get what i am trying to solve <laughs> thank you thank you for being with us gagan do you have any last thoughts and let us know how people can contact you well i'm uh, my linkedin address is here i'm gagandeep obroy i'm on linkedin uh, you can reach out to me you know you can chat i'm more than happy to have a conversation and uh, my last thought is guys start thinking economy outside our mindset of money and accounting and how much of it is rather than remembering it is how much we want to consume and consumption is not bad for start consumption is not bad how do we get to the consumption how the things are made has to be sustainable and that's what we have already learned now how do we have sustainable production so that we can have all the consumption we want in life that's good that's great that's what we want to do but consumption is not bad and start thinking how do we get everybody in this world to start consuming at higher levels so gagan i'm so intrigued by this conversation like you have a background as like a marketing trainer for some huge corporations like you know folks who produce oreo and cadbury and stuff like that and so i really am thankful for your perspective and i also can't wait to see you in conversation with our other speakers from this month which we'll do next week so sure. thank you for being here and uh, until the next one thank you and thanks for having me over thank you for listening to another episode of collective power If you'd like to be a guest on our show, recommend a guest on our show, or write for our upcoming Medium publication, feel free to contact us at collectivepowermedia.com. You can also become a supporter and help us offset the costs of making the podcast for as little as $3 a month. To do so, go on our website at collectivepowermedia.com 
and click on the button that says donate, become a supporter. Thank you for your courage to see the bigger picture. And until next week, drop the mic. <laughs>